We're staging a billion-dollar heist of the Haunted Mansion and facing Lemoncita of Gran Turismo. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show. Uh, well, we have got a fun-packed show today uh, with new movies, including Penelope Cruz, Orlando Bloom, Owen Wilson. It just gets better and better. Um, so we're going to start with, I think I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Van Lemoncita. I mean, I love that you think it relates to citrus. I mean, we had this conversation before we came on mic. You're like, does that have anything to do with lemons? I'm like, no, sadly, nothing to do with, no, no. Uh, I think we just discovered, didn't we, that it translates to the intensity. Like yeah, that's, that's nice. Lemon translates. It's the intensity, and this is uh, new drama uh, starring Penelope Cruz, as you point out. This is from uh, writer director Emmanuel Crialas. Crialase? Crialase, I think his name is, um, who directed uh, Terra Firma in, I think it was 2011. And this takes place, this is set in Rome. So this is, this is a Spanish family that have moved to Rome. And I think it's set in the seven, late 70s, early 80s. And you've got Penelope Cruz, who, she's not a single mum, but for all intents and purposes, she may as well be. You know what I mean? She's, she's, she's a mum who's, whose husband is like a serial cheater. And he's always off, like, making thinly veiled excuses. He's very obviously having it off with, I think, his assistants. And like, the excuses are, are getting flimsier and flimsier. And she, she very clearly knows. And the meanwhile, they have three children together. And the, the eldest, who's their daughter, has what I'm reasonably sure wasn't a thing at the time. Like, it wouldn't have been quite as, as pronounced at the time or as defined at the time. But gender identity issues. And uh, what we would have said back in the day, would have, we would have said it was a tomboy. Dresses in, in very male clothing. Like we would, we would obviously would be a lot more academic about it today. But yeah. Like, oh, she's a tomboy. Is, is what they say, and she's kind of ostracized by her dad from you know for that that, that element. But in the meanwhile, you have the mum who bonds more closely with their children than she does their adult friends. That you know they have dinner parties, for instance, and things, and she's more likely to be found running around on her hands and knees under the dinner table, palling around with the kids and playing make believe than she is like playing with the adults. She feels detached from all of this, and it is just this—it's this effectively familial love story between you know mother and children, and the story of the development of you know how the development and deterioration of this family. It stretches across a, a number of years as well um this is this is one that you know is is gonna i think it, i did actually check the guardian review of this and i think it only got three stars in the guardian which genuinely shocked me because it seems like a cardigan's wet dream if you know what i mean it's just one of those <laughs> yeah you, you know the you know the kind of odd about like it's got penelope cruz in full foreign language mode but without pedro Moldovar. And mm. normally, if you've if you've ever seen Penelope Cruz in a foreign language film, usually it's in the guise of an Amaldivar movie, or usually it's it's opposite, like Antonio Banderas, for instance. So there's a certain aesthetic we're used to. And this isn't this isn't quite as imaginative, or quite as pronounced as an Amaldivar movie. This is a lot more kitchen sink. This is a lot more down and dirty. This is a lot more you know we're into the familial love of all of this. And, but at the same part, it's equal parts about the kids as it is about the mum in this case. And uh, the, the eldest daughter, for instance, who I'm going to have to look up, Adri, is uh, Luana, Luana Giuliani. 
um, enters into uh, a friendship slash burgeoning relationship with, for instance, a girl from the quote-unquote wrong side of the tracks and is told off for this. And this, this is their, sort of that, like their arc, for instance, is, you know, don't go near this kid. Um, but really, there's, it's not really one for plot, I mean, it's, it's quite well directed. It's quite well realized. You do very much get a sense of it. Do you ever see something like the Ice Storm? You ever see the Ice Storm in the late nineties with Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver and oh, it rings uh, a bell. Elijah Wood and Christina Ricci, but back when they were both kids, it's about yeah. ninety eight, ninety nine. The Ice Storm, I think nineteen ninety seven, maybe. And but it's that kind of a film, but. Instead of the American suburbs, for instance, which I think is where you'd go with this if you were doing the English language version, you get, you know, metropolitan Rome. You get the cityscape of Rome. We were talking last week about uh, Paris Memories, for instance, and how it used the, the urbanite environment of, you know, contemporary Paris. This uses 70s Rome. In much of the same way of you know this is this is our standing for this is we don't need the suburbs our you know capital city kind of works the same way here and you very much get that feeling feeling through it um it didn't I mean at the same time I was grabbed I was grabbed by the emotion of it but I did feel kind of detached from it I kind of wished that it was going somewhere heftier but at the same time. I will about. I know that this is individual to me. The the relationship between the the mother and, and children, for instance, I thought was so well developed and so well defined that, based on experiences in you know my own experience, my own past, I actually found it kind of triggering at times. Penelope Cruz is absolutely brilliant in this, but then again, she's Penelope Cruz. When is yeah. she not? You know, Penelope Cruz is not someone who's ever phoned it in. Like even in even on her worst day, even whatever that was, it Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge, or I forget which Pirates of the Caribbean she was in. I wish it was Blackbeard's daughter. Do you remember the one? Oh, yeah, I think that's the second one. No, no, it's definitely not the second. It's like the it's like the the, the fourth or fifth or sixth. Oh, was it that far through? Wow. Okay. Yeah, she's like Ian McShane's daughter, isn't she? Ian McShane yeah, is Blackbeard, yeah. and she's his daughter. Or is she, or is she uh, uh, Jeffrey Rushes? She's someone's daughter in Pirates of the Caribbean, and yeah. even in that, like you know, the most phoned-in like job she could ever have, she still brings it because she's Penelope Cruz. Like she comes with, a, you know, a, a thespian heft, and you very much get that here. But I find that the material is not quite there on a substantial enough level to really offer much outside of the performance and the emotion. I don't think there's enough story to this. And I think that's where it goes wrong because I'm, I'm watching Penelope Cruz in a foreign language film. I'm in a Moldavar mode. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm in a Moldavar mode. I can't remember the last one that he did with her that I thought was really brilliant. Uh, but this isn't quite there for me. I gonna say, um, Luana Giuliani, uh, Giuliani, I think it's Giuliani, um, great as uh, Adri, or I think it's Adri who goes by. Um, also very good, the eldest daughter. But there's just there's something missing from it. I got emotion. I was moved by it, but I just felt there was something missing from it. So if you're a if you're a cruise in subtitled mode aficionado, then obviously you're going to want to check this out anyway. But if you're going into this expecting cruise in a Moldavar mode, you are not getting it. You're getting this. This is not dialed up to eleven. This is dialed up to about a six. You know what I mean? What did setting this in Rome add to? The, the story as such. Why, why couldn't this have been set in Paris or London? 
I, I mean, it needs to be set anywhere other than where Penelope Cruz and her family are originally from, because you need that distance and that alienation for the arc of why the mother and children have bonded so intensely to work. Right. The isolation of, you know, from the husband, for instance. Like, again, I, I drew on childhood memories with this one, genuinely. Like, I found this movie, this was a really triggering movie for me, but it still didn't get me there in terms of the five-star ranking kind of a thing. Uh, but you needed that. You need that geographical isolation, I think for this story to work. It doesn't quite work, but it almost does. You know what I mean? So you're not going to see some amazing, beautiful sights of Rome in this, just as we discussed with the the other film last week. It's more, like you say, set in the, the nitty-gritty parts of Rome. There is quite a nice sequence, actually, in which Cruz and her children sort of bond by just running through the streets screaming, like this is their childhood. And you know when you're a kid you just want to run through the neighbourhood yelling? It does have that kind of sequence for Cruz and her, Cruz and her kids, and, and it's a wonderful moment. It does show off, like there's a nice side of Rome that you get to that. But again, like you say, it could have been any city as long as it wasn't the city they were from. So, you know, yeah, it could yeah, just yeah. as easily have been London. It could just as easily have been Lisbon. You know, it could just it could have been Berlin. You know what I mean? It just obviously can't be anywhere that isn't Spanish. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, if you want to make your own mind up and see it yourself, um, it is in cinemas from today. Um, right, we're going to be talking about Gran Turismo, which, of course, stars Orlando Bloom in just a moment. We'll see what Van thought of that one in just a minute. Stay where you are. Hello and welcome back. Right, let's crack straight on with another brand new movie out this week, which is in cinemas from today. Gran Turismo, starring, if I can say it properly, Gran Turismo, starring Orlando Bloom. Well, let's see what Van thought of this one. Um, over to you. I mean, first of all, you'd be shocked how many people think that this is a remake of Gran Torino or a sequel to Gran <laughs> Torino with, uh, with Clint Eastwood. Which, I'll be honest, if there's going to be a sequel to a Clint Eastwood movie, Gran Torino's a bloody good one to do. I'm not going to lie. I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd pay money to see that. So, um, <laughs> brace yourself for this. Uh, okay. So, this is the latest film from director Neil Blomkamp, who, you know, famously brought us District 9 and Elysium and Chappie, and almost brought us Alien 5, and Robocop Returns, and a bunch of other movies that never happened, because he's kind of like Guillermo del Toro. He announces projects, and then they disappear, or they just fall through. Um, so for some reason that makes absolutely no sense in the universe, rather like Ben Wheatley directing a sequel to The Meg, he has decided to direct the feature film adaptation well, not of the game, but of a true story related to the video game, Gran Turismo. So, Gran Turismo, as you well know, is a PlayStation driving simulator, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, this is not like Burnout, which is my go-to PlayStation driving simulator, which is, you know, which is just a fun racing game. This is a proper academic level driving simulator. This is a Formula One simulator, so it's quite dull in actuality. Now, we begin this movie with an actual explanation of this game. Like, we, we're really, we're told this. We're told about the development of Gran Turismo as if it's the law that sets up the plot to the movie Dune. As if this is Frank Herbert. As in, in 19 blah blah blah, so-and-so, the software developer, decided to come up with the ultimate driving simulator and he did this and he 3D scanned that and he measured this and we're shown a montage of them 3D scanning cars and all of this nonsense for what feels like an unfathomably long time before we're introduced to our main character, who is a real person. Like, this actually is based on a true story. 
okay? This is a fictionalized version of uh, Jan Mardenborough, I think his name is, who is played for the screen by Archie Madikave? I think it's Madikave. Right. Who, and I'm not sure of the uh, which bits of this are entirely true. I'm just going to go with the version that's in the film. Who is the son of a, an immigrant to Wales, who's played in the film by Jaiman Hunsu, who came to Wales to play professional football for Cardiff. I think he had an injury and was cut from the team. And he's now raised two sons with his wife, played in the film by Jerry Halliwell. Because it's that kind of, yeah, that, that reaction right there. Yeah, that says it all. Wow. Um, who, has a weird, who has a weird thing about lentils. We'll get to that. And uh, he's got one son who wants to follow in his footsteps and, and play football. And he's got another son, Jan, our main character, who really wants to be a Formula One driver. And he thinks that in order to do this, he can, he can play Gran Turismo on his PlayStation with his, his ludicrously overpriced home driving rig. Now, I have friends who have Twitch channels, so I know this is a real thing where they've got, like, you know, sheds in their garden where they've got full driving rigs set up with steering wheels and pedals and all that and, yeah. and proper, you know, self-branded T-shirts. I know this is a real thing. Shout out to my boy Gareth. I know this is a real thing. So fair play. I'm not calling nonsense on that. I'm not calling BS on that. So... Enter into this equation Orlando Bloom, who plays, I think he's Danny, who's the head of marketing for Nissan. And he has an idea. He's going to make Nissan the new kid on the Formula One block. He's going to bolster their image by finding the best Gran Turismo drivers in the world and training them to become Formula One drivers. And he recruits a sort of down-on-his-look, think Emilio in Mighty Duck-style coach, played by David Harbour, who apparently really needed a paycheck to coach these kids. And David Harbour, who starts off with the, nah, this is not going to work, this is nonsense, uh, 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 you, know, you know, nonsense sort of, uh, you know, smack talker. Within about 10 minutes, turns his opinion around. He becomes the, the guy in Jan's corner. Jan is obviously the plucky recruit. His dad doesn't believe in him. He gets he, he gets the, the golden ticket, literally the Wonka-style golden ticket, which just drops into his lap to go and become a Formula One driver. And if you think this sounds like absolute garbage, spoiler alert, it is. And if even if I didn't tell you that, you'd very quickly work it out from this <laughs> Listen, son, you think you're going to play a stupid video game about cars and you're going to become a race car driver? All I ever wanted to do is be a racer. I'm doing it. The ten of you are the best Gran Turismo players in the world. Now is your chance to race real cars. This is insane. It's not going to work. The guys who race are elite athletes. Your kids are scrawny little gamer kids. That's where you come in. Hmm. So you think you can do the impossible? I'm here to prove that you can't. You get tired, you get sloppy, you get sloppy, you get hurt, and you lose races! <laughs> you puked on my lawn. I won't lie, I'm a little bit disappointed from that clip and from what you said, because I was hoping this was going to be a really good, action-packed, fun movie with a decent story, but... It doesn't sound like it is. I mean, I've got to ask, what part of this is the true story part? 
No, the whole thing is the true story. That's wow. the most insane part. You get to the end of this insanely overlong, and I do mean overlong. This thing is two and a quarter hours long. You get to this two at the end of this two and a quarter hour long film, and the caption comes up on screen and tells you about the true story. And that's when it's pointed out to you that the real Jan Mardenborough actually is the stunt double in the movie for the kid playing Jan Mardenborough. And you're like, I feel like that's more thought than anyone put into anything else about this movie, because goddamn, oh my god. Right, like I say, it's, it's between this and Meg 2 with Ben Wheatley as to what is the more baffling choice uh, for any director to pick up a movie. Incidentally, can I just go back a second? to something you just said about you expected more from the story. You, you, you were expecting more from the story for a movie based on Gran Turismo, the PlayStation game. I just want to circle back to that point because when you say it out loud in the cold light of day, it sounds bonkers, doesn't it? Yeah, I was. Yeah, it does. I, I, in my head, it was. It was kind of a Fast and Furious kind of story. That's what I yeah. expected without seeing anything, without seeing a trailer. A friend of mine was telling me, apparently, uh, I think it's Namco, are actually setting that up at Universal with Ridge Racer. They actually want Ridge Racer to be the actual successor to Fast and Furious. And you know what? Why not? Because if you can get away with peddling this drivel, which basically plays as the last Starfighter for the terminally brain-damaged, then, hot damn. I mean, this makes Need for Speed look like Top Gun. In fact, it makes Need for Speed look like Top Gun Maverick, if I'm being really honest. This is absolute garbage. About the point that Jerry Hallowell start, shows up to start talking about lentils, you honestly, <laughs> you honestly start thinking, do you know what? Come back, 1993 Super Mario Brothers. All is forgiven. Good Lord, this is garbage. Absolute garbage. Um, Archie Madakabe's performance is so unfathomably crap Though I, I almost feel the need to look up whoever it was that starred in the movie Goal back in 2005 and apologise to that guy. Because I thought he was... Because that's the movie I kept thinking about during this was Goal. Do you remember, do you remember Goal? Never remember ever movie? saw it. I'm guessing it wasn't it was a, great. It was a trilogy of movies that were set and filmed during actual like Premier League and like World Cup football matches. They actually used right. real players and, and they set an actual narrative during it. And the idea was like great in theory, but the movie was garbage and you had a garbage lead. And yeah, that, that's what I thought of a lot during this. Whatever they are paying, Jaiman Hunsu and uh, David Harbour for this, I promise they were worth more because they are single-handed. Between the pair of them, they are carrying this thing aloft. And believe me, it has the weight of an actual Formula One car between them. Imagine the two of them actually lifting a Formula One car above their shoulders between the two of them, carrying it like a casket. And that is close to the, that's the closest visual metaphor I could conjure for you for the absolute garbage dumpster fire that is this steaming pile of crap. The fact that the director of District 9 is attached to this is frankly unfathomable. I was bored. I mean, I literally smacked my own self in the face. How distracted <laughs> I was. I, it's, oh, my God. And there were people just panderingly clapping away at the end of this, because this is where we've gotten to with the stage of screenings now. It's, it's half, like, critics, half garbage influencers. And they're, they're clapping away because I think they're just happy to be invited to a movie and they think they're letting the side down if they're not seen to be enthusiastic because that's their job, it seems. And, good Lord, you have never felt yourself slipping into a waking coma faster 
than you have during this movie. And it's about as fast as an actual Formula One race, which, believe me, does not compare to the actual pacing and runtime of, again, this absolute crapshoot of a movie. Do not see this movie. Do not see Gran Turismo. If you're the kind of... In fact, you know what? I'll take that back. If you're the kind of person dumb enough, you're the kind of person of so little substance that you actually would get excited about the idea of an entire two-and-a-quarter-hour length feature film based on Gran Turismo The PlayStation Game, a movie that, and I can't stress this highly enough, at one point stops dead so that they can actually get the creator of Gran Turismo in there. I didn't even look up whether or not it's the actual guy or if it's someone playing him. To literally shake his hand and tell him what an inspirational figure he is, if you're the kind of person, gullible, shallow, and stupid enough to actually pander for that garbage, this is the movie for you. If you have half a brain cell, maybe five IQ points to spare. Avoid this like the plague. No, 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 no. Go and see Oppenheimer instead. Go and see Barbie. Go and see Dead Reckoning. Do not, for the love of God, press start on Gran Turismo. Well, I'm guessing as well, uh, I'm guessing the end that he didn't find a racing driver because as far as I'm aware, there isn't a Nissan team in Formula One. Um, uh, actually, I, uh, I mean, you might want to check your history on that one. Oh, no. Check your history. No, well, no I don't watch Formula it. One much, just to yeah. guess. <laughs> I will say, though, I was, I, was talk, I was talking to a couple of my critic friends afterwards, and I was sort of thinking, do you know what? This is the kind of... If, if, I, don't, I hadn't looked up the true story at that point, and I said to them, do you know what? This is the kind of nonsense stunt you could only get away with if you were Nissan. Because at that stage, nobody gives a toss what it is you're doing anyway, because you're already Nissan. So, fair play. Well, if you want to make your own mind up, Hugh Van... Yeah, don't. Don't bother. Honestly, don't. <laughs> it is in cinemas from today. Gran Turismo. Make your own mind up if you wish. Uh, right, moving on. We are heading over to uh, Owen Wilson. Haunted Mansion. That was a really bad impression, I know, but we'll see what Van thought of that next. So welcome back to the show then. We are going to look at Billion Dollar Heist in a moment and then we'll look at some of the new movies that are out next week. But right now, we are heading over to Owen Wilson in Haunted Mansion. I've got to say, uh, after reading the synopsis to this, there, there didn't seem to be any huge surprises. It just seemed like your basic ghost story to me. Single mum, hired a tour guide, a psychic, a priest, historian. It's ghosts. Mm-hmm. Right, did you did you see the last version of The Haunted Mansion back in, I think it was 2003, 2004, I want to say? No, definitely didn't. Okay, so back in the early 2000s, after 2003, because in 2003, uh, Disney released Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, right? Yeah. And the idea was there that Disney had, for the first time, adapted one of their theme park rides, one of the Disneyland rides, and gotten a mega-hit blockbuster out. So, the decision was made to try and do this with more of the Disney theme park rides. And the, the first one was the Haunted Mansion. So, this is literally another one based on a Disney ride. Now, the last version starred uh, Eddie Murphy. I forget who else was in it. It was a long time ago, I can say. It was crap. It was, it was, it was absolute rubbish. Um, didn't I don't think it made much money. It was kind of a financial disappointment. No one really seems to remember it now. But the property kind of lingered there, and there was potential in it. So there was always the idea of going back to it. And in the interim, I think there's Tomorrowland as well, which they, they attempted to adapt into a movie. And again, no one really showed up for that, although Tomorrowland is an infinitely better movie than either version of, of The Haunted Mansion, and indeed most of the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels. So 
Enter director Justin Simeon, uh, who showed up for our screening of this, it's worth pointing out, and uh, rudely cut in front of me in line at one point. And I didn't know who he was, and I remember thinking, who is this? Uh, insert expletive here. And then he showed up to ensure the movie, I'm like, oh, oh, it's him. Yeah, so I didn't have a high opinion of him going into the movie. Uh, Justin Simeon uh, wrote and directed the movie Dear Black People with Tessa Thompson, I think about five, six years ago now, turned into a successful enough TV series, has now done this latest version of The Haunted Mansion, in which, it's worth pointing out, Owen Wilson is not the lead. He's the biggest known star wow. in the cast. Wow, indeed. Very wow. Uh, what, <laughs> can we just say it's 30 grand, is it 30 grand a time that Owen Wilson, someone did the math. Yeah. Owen Wilson's been paid 30 grand a time for every time that he's been said, he said the word wow. If you do the math, it works out $30,000 for every time he has said wow. It's mad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's wow in itself. Jesus, that's yeah. wow. Really. Right, so the actual lead is Lakeith Stanfield from uh, Get Out and Sorry to Bother You. And so... He, we're introduced to him at the start of this movie. He is an, I think he's an astrophysicist or a quantum physicist who uh, falls in love with a sort of a, a supernatural tour guide in New Orleans. Flash forward a few years and she has passed away. She's died in an accident and uh, I think it's a drunk driver type accident. And uh, he, he has taken over her role for us. So the astrophysicist is now a jaded alcoholic and he's taken over her tour guide gig for her. And he is approached one day, wait for it, by Owen Wilson. Aha! Yeah, there you go. You can wow that one. Wow. There you go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, can, I can spare you 30p if you like. That'll do. <laughs> 30p. I'll give you 30p a wow. Don't, don't take the mic. Don't <laughs> <laughs> take the mic with it. I'll give you 30p a wow. Got 30 grand, you can have 30p a wow. Um, he's approached by Owen Wilson, who's a priest, who has a gig for him. And as you say, single mum, Rosario Dawson, she and her son have uh, moved into this mansion that they found on Zillow. I'll get to that. This mansion they found on Zillow because it was all they could afford. You know, a mansion. Because all they could afford in New Orleans was a mansion. That's nothing weird. about this. Nothing about this seems odd. Okay, so they move into the mansion, and every night at midnight, ghosts pop out, and they hire, you know, the, they get the priest and and uh, Lakeith Stanfield to come, and they want to do an exorcism and an exercise, and a, and a team is assembled. You have got psychic played by, uh, oh god, I'm going to look at the cast. This what's name? Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany Haddish, because this movie was apparently greenlit like seven or eight years ago, and Tiffany Haddish was cool for five minutes, and people still thought she was funny, and uh, Danny DeVito whose job role I kind of forget. And they set about doing the exorcism on the Haunted Mansion, um, during which they discover that the mansion is actually being attacked by a dead cult leader played by Jared Leto, because that's the level of subtlety we're going for. And believe me, I'm going to get to all this. But before that, have a clip. I've done it a thousand times. You see, you say it like that. Makes me feel like you've never done it. Yes, I have. I've probably done it like 10,000 times. Why elevate it to that level? Then I don't believe it at all. How am I going to get into Believe this? it, boo. Believe it. Now, if I'm gone for more than 10 minutes, ring this bell. If I get lost, it'll help me find my way back. See, I have to be very raw in order to go into the other side. This is a picture of my dog that tragically moved to live <sighs> on a farm. <clears throat> Actually, I hit my car. Bursted like a water balloon. Sis, wait, what? What? I mean, J- 
just listening to you talking about it and reading the synopsis, it does sound to me like it's a, a comedy and nothing but. Now, if it could decide, if it could settle and decide to be a comedy, that actually would be progress because... Right, on a production level, this thing kind of looks and feels a bit like uh, the 1995 Casper movie. You remember the, the Casper movie with Bill Pullman and Christina Ricci? Yeah, I loved Which, that. That Who doesn't? Great movie, right? Still an all-timer. Now, Casper, way better movie than this. This is appallingly bad. This is not Gran Turismo bad, but it's close. Okay, it's, it's close Ooh. to Gran Turismo bad. Tonally, it's absolutely all over the place. Uh, on a plot level, it's predictable as toffee. Um, casting Jared Leto as a cult leader in any movie in 2023 is, ooh, that's about on par as that time they gave Ezra Miller that mental health joke in The Flash, that mental health treatment joke that just seemed in really, really bad taste. Yeah, that's about as bad as, as Jared Leto playing Jared Leto, Jared Leto, tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off. About as on par with casting him as a cult leader, dead or otherwise. And, uh, yeah, I mean, visually, nice looking, but absolutely garbage script. Um, every single member of the cast seems to be in a different movie. Like, that's the thing. I mean, T- Tiffany Haddish, th- this shtick has has really run its course. This shtick ran its course, I say, back in the late 2010s. This shtick ran its course 2017, 2018. And now just feels this is absolutely the same routine. This is this bear in mind is you know the comedian who was booed famously for that New Year's Eve gig she did a couple of years ago and came out and said, Oh, you win some, you lose some and everyone else just responded with No, honey, they, they pretty much reviewed you fairly. I think that's about the standard of your work. And believe me, this film is not gonna challenge that opinion at at all. Um yeah, just Paint by numbers scripting, A to B to C to Z, but and it's, it's telegraphed way far in advance. I, I was bored for most of it. It ironically makes the last attempt of uh, at this, you know, the Haunted Mansion brand look like the first Pirates of the Caribbean. In contrast, like in terms of how accomplished that last version was, that looks like Pirates of the Caribbean in, in contrast. And I say that knowing full well that Disney have another one of these in the pipe because they've got Scarlett Johansson, you know, on the conveyor belt to do Tower of Terror next. And I say that because that's why they had to settle that Black Widow lawsuit a couple of years ago because they really wanted that Tower of Terror project off the ground. Otherwise, believe me, they weren't settling that lawsuit. And yeah. It's drivel. It lasts over two hours. It's about three minutes past the two-hour mark. And no, just just no. Come back, Eddie Murphy. All is forgiven. This, I mean, honestly, I, I came away from this thinking I need to revisit the two thousand two Scooby Doo movie because for all the you know the smack that gets thrown thrown at that, that is light years above this. And that you know even that is not quite Casper. At the top of this spectrum, you have 95 Casper. Below that, you have 2002 Scooby-Doo. And at the bottom of festering pile of steaming grizzled turds, you have this. And somewhere in the middle is the last <laughs> attempt to make it. Uh, no. I mean, even, even for the kids, take the kids to see Barbie. It's a better movie, infinitely. It's interesting how Owen Wilson isn't the lead. I mean, does hmm. he... Does he add to it? Is like, could it have been somebody else? Why pay a Hollywood actor of his caliber? Wow, all that money when anyone else could have played it. 
because they've paid a lot of actors that. Now, if you watch the trailer for this movie, you'll notice that the cast list for this is quite long. It's quite staggering. It includes people like... I'm going to single one out. It includes my boy, Hassan. It includes Hassan Minaj amongst its number. Now, Hassan Minaj literally has one scene. And I think he has maybe three lines of dialogue in that scene. But he's in the trailer. He's credited in the trailer amongst a bevy of names. It includes people like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis who's literally a head in a crystal ball. Maybe he has six lines of dialogue and two scenes. But that's the kind of film we're dealing with. And you think, so what you have tried to do is you've tried to template Pirates of the Caribbean here, but stack it with an all-star cast in the hopes that people just won't notice that what you're peddling is garbage. But it's garbage. And I'm sorry, you, you can't quite waft away that very obvious whiff of garbage and it's, it's prevalent throughout you just can't get past it I say visually it looks nice great cinematography and all because they, they're going for that in fact not even cinematography is okay it's a production design which is very much rooted in the 95 Casper but nothing else about this is getting shouted home about well if you want to watch it it is in cinemas from today Haunted Mansion <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, we're going to move on in just a second. We're going to talk about Billion Dollar Heist, which I've got my fingers crossed. It's going to be a really good movie <laughs> because I really want to see it. But we will see what Van thinks in just a second. Stay where you are. All right. Welcome back. One last ride for you. One last brand new movie to talk about. I'm really looking forward to hearing what Van thought of this one. Billion Dollar Heist. Talk to me, Van. I promise I'm going to be on more upbeat with this one. Honestly. Good. Right. I mean, just, I'm, I'm not even going to bury the lead. This is the film of the week that we're covering anyway. Uh, so, new documentary from Daniel Gordon, who most recently, I think, gave us the uh, Australian football documentary, The Australian Dream. Okay. This is, do you, do you know the story of the Bangladeshi bank heist of 2016? Uh, very roughly. And that was from mm. researching this, but not, not hugely. Yeah. I, I vaguely knew about it because of the tech side of this, because it, it's kind of a, a perfect case study of, 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 of you know, how to perfect the cyber heist. Like, the things that went wrong were all sort of human error, really. It, it, it was dumb luck that this did not turn out worse than it did. So, this is the story of an attempted billion-dollar heist, the greatest, highest cyber heist in history this would have been the most infamous heist since the great train robbery so the way this works is in 2016 the bangladeshi central bank found itself swindled out of an attempt out of just shy of a billion dollars what happened was a group of hackers spent a year cultivating this heist first they infiltrated the staff they sent uh, an email to i think it was something like uh, 36 staff members 35 36 staff members um just from like a random person like a dummy person submitting a cv and three of them opened the cv and that cv was a trojan so that this is you know the classic email scam this trojan is the first step that allows them access the bank. That's the uh, that's the social engineer does that bit. And then you've got the grift, the, sorry, the, the, the digger, as they're called, becomes the next person in the chain who uses that access 
to mine through these people's computers, to mine into their social accounts, their passwords, etc., to basically burrow their way into the bank's security systems. And this is where it gets interesting. So, the Bangladeshi, the reason they did all this is because the Bangladeshi Central Bank is linked to the New York Federal Reserve. But probably best known to you and me as the thing that Jeremy Irons robbed in Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> only, only they're not running dump trucks full of gold out of the Federal Reserve. They're running digital currency. And the, believe me, the movie goes into extreme depths on this. So what happens is they very cleverly chose a four-day four period in 2016, very early 2016, in which... Starting on a Thursday evening, because the, the working week in Bangladesh runs from, I think it's Sunday to Thursday. That's the working week. So Friday and Saturday are the weekend. They cho they staged it this way because they knew that they could do whatever they wanted on Friday in Bangladesh and the office, the bank would be closed. And then by the time it got reported back to the US, they would be closed because it would be Saturday. And by the time it got to China, where they would be funneling it through, it would be Sunday. And it was Chinese New Year, so they were closed as Sunday and Monday as well. And it was a genius heist. And the only reason, and I say, they, they launched through the SWIFT system. They, they rigged the, the printer so that the printer wouldn't print out the hard copy, so the bank couldn't see this. They thought there was just a printer error, so this is all going without noticing they come in on Monday morning or Sunday morning for instance and the printer hasn't spat out the receipts for this so an entire day or so goes by before they realize what's happened they submit using this swift system I think it was 36 this was 36 it was 36 bank transfer orders and these were in the millions these are like 20 million 30 million 50 million a time and they submit wow. 36 of them one gets flagged immediately by the automated system because it had a spelling error in it. They misspelled the word foundation and the automated algorithm picked that up. They, they wrote foundation. Automated system found that out, flagged it up as fraud and denied it. And then an actual manual person at the Swift office caught, I think it was another 32, 32 or 33, that seemed a bit odd and they flagged them because the bank they had tried to transfer them and happened to share half of its name with a, another outlet that had been flagged for dealing with Iran had been flagged by, by for sanctions for dealing with Iran, Jupiter Seaways I think it was called, but they still allowed three or four of these transactions to go through so they still allowed 81 million dollars out of the out of the New York Federal Reserve in the name of the Bangladeshi Central Bank. This is the story of how they pulled that off, what was involved in this scam, the lengths they went to, but also, more importantly, how bad it could have been, and also, what came after the heist itself. Because I'm going to tell you a bit of it, but I'm not even going to scratch the surface. So have a listen. Bangladesh was the biggest cyber heist of all time. It is a mistake to think this happened overnight. Members of the Bangladeshi bank were targeted. They tricked them to click on the attachment that contained malicious code. They were inside the bank's network for a full year. Popping screenshots, keystrokes of employees. Jumping from a computer to computer. Bingo. They find the terminal that communicates with the Fed. They had no idea for a very long time what was happening. It's too late. The money's gone. 
I am absolutely captivated with this story. Mm-hmm. Just just you talking then and explaining how it kind of pans out. I didn't move. I was just literally stuck at looking at your face, listening to what you were saying. This is one of those movies I know that if I watched, I would get to almost the end and I would still have a bowl full of popcorn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you probably would, to be fair, because I did. Um, incidentally, staring at my face, apologies, I, f- I forgot to pre-warn you I'd shaved this week. So I'm going through a it's a whole, it's a good, the whole thing. Um, right, so this is absolutely captivating. And believe me, the story goes in even more bonkers directions. For instance, the uh, indexing Niger that they used um, in the coding turned up a few years later, turned up, I think, two years later, in, of all things, the Sony hack. Do you remember that hack when 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 what we thought yeah. was North Korea hacked Sony, and it was all to do with the interview, the Seth Rogen movie, the interview, and all the Sony emails got that code. It's the same code. It's the same coding signature that turns up in this. So they traced when the Sony hack happened. They they traced it back to this, and then it turns up again in other famous incidents down the line. So the story goes in incredibly weird directions that you just can't quite see coming. Fascinating stuff. Um, if you've ever, um, if, if you remain sort of unafraid of the general, the genuine danger of you know of, of cybercrime, this film, this is the nail in the coffin for you. This is this is your wake up call. We get told at the beginning of the movie, look, there's certain things that you know threaten the human race. There's you know we have a pandemic. There's climate change. There's you know act, there's global. There's nuclear war and there's cybercrime. Like, you those are the four things that can destroy the human race. We need to take them seriously. And this is the one that no one takes that seriously. Watch this movie. And, oh, my, I mean, first thing, you're going to change all your passwords as soon as you watch it. <laughs> that's a given. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, that's that's what this movie is going to do, apart from entertain, mm. of course, uh, and, and tell a true yeah. story. But it is going to remind you of the real dangers that are in the world right now as far as getting hacked and, and how easy it is to steal... Yeah anything from anyone if it's all done online but it's the domino effect as well it's a really captivating insight into how the negligence of just one random person can bring effect can can take on take on the next and take out the next person we can lead them to the next person the person after that until eventually they get to you know a big mega corporation a bank you know or, or sony or something like that and it's fascinating seeing how you know one person clicking the wrong email attachment can lead to that, how it, ha- how it leads to, you know, A leads to B leads to C, leads to Z, and Z is a juggernaut. You know, it's, it's absolutely captivating stuff. It's, um, as I say, it's directed by Daniel Gordon. He does a very good job. Because at first I was like, yeah, this doesn't seem that high end, but actually it really got me. Um, it's only 84 minutes long. Uh, when you get the chance to see it, absolutely do. I do think this is a way, it's obviously, it's not like Blackfish level, you know, you know, captivating in terms of this is going to fundamentally, you know, move you or anything like that. It's not an emotional uh, documentary, but this is a wake-up call of a documentary. It's absolutely one I think everyone should see. Uh, it's like 84 minutes. This will definitely, this will get some time on, I think, like Storyville on BBC or something like that. And if you get a chance to see it, like I say, do. So it's called Billion Dollar Heist, which I know sounds like a direct-to-DVD thriller starring Joel Kinnaman, but uh, but it really isn't. It sounds like the next instalment from Ocean's 12, doesn't it? Ocean's 13. That comes up, actually, because they talk about the different team members that you need to pull off a heist like this, and someone actually does say, you have to assemble like an Ocean's 11-type team, where you need the social engineer and, and the digger and you know so on and so forth. And it's, wow. it's fascinating. Honestly... 
this could have been so much worse. There's a lot of dumb luck. And there is a different timeline in which this becomes, you know, a catastrophic event. I mean, they do say, like, if you so if you fleece a billion out of a country like Bangladesh, that's that's like world ending. In in that economy, that is world ending. And this could have been because remember, we are talking about the country's central bank. Imagine the Bank of England losing something like eighty percent of its worth. Wow. That how this could have been. And it's an absolutely riveting story. I, honestly, I thought this was great. Captivating. It is top of my list right now. And like you say, it's not very long. It's not one of those movies you're going to be sat there waiting for it to finish. Like, you know, you're in and you're out yeah. and you've had a good time. Uh, well, if you want to watch it, Billion Dollar Heist is in cinemas from today. Now, let's have a quick look at some of the movies we're going to be talking about next week. So, uh, Lie With Me. I've not heard about this one. Yeah, Lie With Me is the uh, the new Peccadillo movie next week. I'm looking forward to that because they always deliver a, a solid riveting drama. We've also got the animated Sparkle, colon, A Unicorn Tale, which I'm not expecting much from, if I'm honest. It's not even about a unicorn's actual tale. It's about a unicorn's story. So, no, no, wait to me on that one. Uh, Curzon's new one, Idiots, is next week. And it's Curzon, so, you know, decent odds of it being a half-decent time. Um, DC have a new movie out next week. Yay! Blue Beetle is upon us because it's only been five minutes since The Flash. And, well, this can't be as bad as The Flash, can it? Do they ever stop making movies? I mean, just do they have a rest? Will they ever learn? You mean, will they ever take the hint? <laughs> no. No, they bloody won't, it seems. Because I think after this, after this has got, I think after this is Aquaman The Lost Kingdom. So Aquaman 2 is the one after this one. And then we finally get the good stuff when James Gunn starts making them. So, uh, yeah. I'd but, like for you to be surprised next week. I would like for, for us to be chatting this time next week and you say, do you I'll know have... what? Actually, I'll eat my words. I think I think Sharon Stone's in this one. Is Sharon Stone in this one? I think Sharon Stone's in this one. Well, let's hope she wears some underwear. Let's hope. Let's hope. I mean, I'll be honest, it would make it would make a DC movie for me if it was Sharon Stone sans underwear. Like, that's what... <laughs> I mean, The Flash The Flash was missing that. That would have changed the entire meaning of the title The Flash, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yes, it would. Yeah, it, it absolutely would. would. Oh, last but by no means least, I don't know if you know about this movie, next week sees the release. And this was delayed from June, uh, just because August is a terrible month to release movies. And they thought, you know, we could probably make some bank in August. Next week is the release of the new Will Ferrell comedy, Strays. Are you aware of this film? Yeah, I can tell I'm there for this. Yeah. I love Will Ferrell. Um, yeah, this is this is the the R-rated talking dog movie with Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx. I am dying to see this. I can't wait. I'm going to see this on Tuesday evening. I'm really looking forward to it. It's a strays. Oof, watch me. I'm going to be excited all weekend now for this. I can't wait to hear what you think of that. I'm a massive Will Ferrell fan. He's, um, he's brilliant. So we will see. That's all we've got time for this week, sadly. But we will be back next week. Until then, I am Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor and we shall return.